0: Okay, we are in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to pick up in verse 23. Matthew chapter 19, verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So Jesus, when He... Here's of this young man who made a decision, as we had read last time, this young man had made the decision not to follow Jesus because he could not give up the coveting. Jesus' instruction for him to sell all his property and give to the poor was specifically for him because he realized that this is what was holding the man back. But then Jesus goes on and he says, It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And and again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You know, I've heard it said that there's a gate that goes into the city of Jerusalem that only one camel at a time can fit. And then I've read that that's not true at all. So scholars say that, you know, if you've ever heard that, scholars say that there's no such gate. Jesus is saying it is very difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's just put this into context here. lest any of us say, well, we're not rich. This applies to somebody else. I'll bet that everyone here in this room is in the top 1% of people in the world as far as wealth goes. Right? Wouldn't you say that? You know, When you compare yourself to the world, you're wealthy. So if you think that you're somehow removed from this because... You only have $5 in your pocket. You're not. Um, very few of us go without a meal because we just don't have. I mean, we might go without a meal because we're too busy or we might go without a meal because you know, we, we, we didn't get, get back to the college on time for lunch or something. But the vast majority of the world goes without meals. So, I don't think any of us escapes this category. Nevertheless, there are some that have a lot more than others, even amongst us. Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then his disciples, in verse 5, when they heard this, they were, it says they were very astonished. They weren't just astonished, they were very astonished. They were absolutely amazed by this. They said, then who can be saved? Because actually... Riches were considered a blessing from God. In other words, if God really liked you, you were rich. Now, we don't have that sort of feeling in in our culture today, that, that there's some special favor because a man is particularly rich, or a woman is particularly rich. But in that generation, in that culture, they were shocked because riches were equated... With blessing from God that God particularly liked you. You ever seen that, that, uh, uh, that play Fiddler on the Roof? And, you know, and come on, this is one of, this is one of my favorites. I, I go around my house singing this stuff. And, and, uh, and as he, you, you know, his future son-in-law says that riches are a curse, Tevye looks at him and says, May God strike me with that curse and may I never recover. Because the culture of the time was that that, that riches actually were an absolute blessing from God. And this is why they were so astonished. The disciples were so astonished. They said, if the rich can't be saved, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, with people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now, let me just say, it is difficult for anyone to be saved. In Matthew chapter 7, if you, if, if, you, if you just turn back a few pages to Matthew chapter 7, in verse 13, Matthew 7, verse 13, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. Matthew 7, verse 14. But the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. So what's Jesus saying? He says, the gate is broad. The, the numbers of people that are going to hell are a lot. And you say, oh well, you know, I don't believe God would ever send anyone to hell. I don't know how you deal with these scriptures. You've got to tear a lot of pages out to have that sort of feeling. Now you are free and I am free to believe whatever I want. We can believe whatever I want. But there's a book that outlasts us and outlasts our own opinions. And God came to earth and He spoke these words to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And He says this. He says the way is broad that leads to destruction. The way is narrow that leads to life. And few are those who enter through it. So the numbers of those who are actually going to enter into life is quite small. So it's hard for anyone to be saved, whether they're rich or poor. Hard for anyone. Jesus is just saying it's particularly hard for the rich. Well, why might that be? Why is it so particularly hard for the rich? Turn over to First Timothy. First Timothy chapter 6. And 1 Timothy is just just a little bit before Hebrews, so if you find Hebrews, it's just a little bit before that. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Now look at what the scriptures say. It talks about this whole attitude of contentment. I have had the good fortune to meet many rich people. In fact, the man that I sat next to on the airplane to Italy was a billionaire. I didn't know who he was at the time, but as we started to talk, then I realized who this guy is. So he's an Israeli billionaire. He has a big plastics company. <clears throat> so, you know, I know something about plastics being organic, and and uh, um, he was a very nice man, but I, for some reason, I always seem to meet lots of rich people. People think I'm really rich because of all the rich people that I know. Now... I'm just a professor, that is the only salary that I have. Now, I'm a well-paid professor, but that's the only salary that I have. And you say, well, you've got all these companies. These are startup companies. Startup companies cost a lot of money. I put a lot of money down on startup companies. I make money at the university and I lose them in startup companies. I lose them in startup companies. So, so I don't have all these, I, I have a lot of worthless stock you know, if that's what you mean, <laughs> the value is, is 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 less than a penny per share in, in some of these companies. So, it, it doesn't get me anything. Maybe one day, like I tell Shireen, one day my ship's going to come in. Just, you know, just don't worry about it. But don't use the credit card either. I mean, <laughs> it's not coming that quick. It's not coming by the end of the month. But it says... Godliness is a means for great gain when accompanied by contentment. Well, I'd be content if I had a big house and a big car. And it... No, it says, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. You know, you can change a whole perspective on life when, we, when you learn contentment. God, you have given me food this day. You have given me covering this day. God doesn't even guarantee us a home. He does not. Jesus said, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. He guarantees us food and He guarantees us covering. And that is it. So we are greatly blessed in the society that we live in, in the state that we're in. And if we give thanks for our food and thanks for our covering, it becomes a lot easier to be content. I see people that have so much and yet depressed and there's no contentment there. Many rich people that have so much in this world and no contentment. You wonder what's going on because they're not thankful for their food and their covering. Verse 9. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which... which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Look what he says. He he doesn't say money is the root of all sorts of evil. It's not money itself. It's the love of money. He says, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. met a young man. said, what do, you, what do you want to do when you get done? Oh, well, you know, I want to go into real estate and make a bunch of money because then I can retire and do some of the things that I want to do. And I'm thinking, you are such a fool. I said, you've got to come to my office. I've got to talk to you for a while. He said, this is such a foolish thing to say. I said, what do you mean? I said, so you want to make a ton of money, so then you, you think you're going to chill back and work in ministry? There's no way. There is no way. You learn to be gracious with everything, every day. And you're going to serve God every day of your life. Only in that will you be content. Or else what's going to happen is when you get all this money, you're not going to sit there and say, let me see how I can bless people this day. It's not going to happen. It just doesn't happen. Many people think, well, when I'm rich, then I'll be very gracious and give. No, you start giving today. How much money do you you have in your pocket today? You give 10% of that to the church. Give 10%. You say, well, that's not in the New Testament. It is not. It's in the Old Testament where they gave a tithe. In the New Testament, whenever there was a category given, it was everything. They gave everything. So you take your choice where you want to start. You want to start in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. You want to give everything fine. But you learn to give today. in this You say, well, I only have $10. Well, good, I'll calculate it for you. That's a dollar you give. You say, well, a dollar won't help the church very much. It's not for the church. The church does not expect that the college students' $5 a week is going to bless the church that much in the sense of buying them a new building. It's not going to happen. It's for the work that's done in your heart. That's what's clear in the Scriptures. Paul said, I look forward to what this is going to do for your account. When you learn to give based on what you have in any stage of life, then you continue with it. You think, well, when I get a real paycheck, then I'm going to give. Not true. Not true. It is harder. The more you make, the harder it is to give. I've seen it in my own life, and I see it in the lives of many rich people. You start now. For your own account, for your own sake, you learn to be gracious. And it starts with 10%. Doesn't start with 1%. Start with 10. That's the starting point. That's kindergarten. You start there. And in your life, you will learn to be more and more gracious, and it will do things in your life. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, to the man who is gracious, his children will be greatly blessed. You want to have good children? Learn to be gracious. They will see your giving heart, and they will learn not to be selfish. Because selfishness is really ugly. He says, "By the love, of, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. If you long to be rich, you're going to pierce yourselves with many griefs. God may bless some of you with great riches in life. God bless you, I hope. You learn how to be giving before you ever hit that point, because it is difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And if you think that's not true, then tear that page out, because Jesus said it's true. He said it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So learn to be gracious in the state that you're in. Learn to be giving. There are decisions that you make in life because you want so much to be sure that you're right with this stuff. Let me tell you a decision I recently made, Shereen and I recently made. And I'm not saying you have to do this. There's nothing scriptural that commands you to do this. But I think about this. I'm just a professor, but I'm a well-paid professor. I don't want my children to think that they don't have to work because daddy's gonna take care of them all their lives. Or daddy has these startup companies that are gonna be really big someday. Even though, remember, only one in ten startup companies ever make significant money. Only one in ten. The second one in ten, two in ten in ten survive. Only one in ten make significant money. The other eight just suck up money and, and make it broke. But I don't want them to think that they're going to get this. So what I've done in my will is very specific. And I've told them, this is not a secret. I've told them. In our will, they get a little bit. A little bit. enough for a down payment on a house, for example, if something should happen to us. The rest goes into a trust and they can give from that trust philanthropically. They can give it away. They can give it away and it's very specific. It has to go to causes that are Christian causes. They can give it away. You say, well, it's good for people to have money. You should leave it to them because then they can give it. Well, I've done it this way. They can give it, but they can't take it. And it's very specific. And sitting on the board with the four children will be a banker who has no stake in this, other than to make sure that it doesn't go to them. Why would I do this? Because I care about their future. Because living here in Houston, I have met many rich people, and I have seen many entitled children who don't work, and they love to sit at the the club, and drink iced tea and complain that the iced tea is not cold enough and it doesn't come fast enough. And have their nails done and their, their, whatever. And it bothers me. And I don't want my kids to be that way. I was sitting with a very wealthy man and, you know, he and I have, t- have been friends for years. And we've talked back and forth and he has read my will because he was interested in this. And he said, you're going to impoverish your children. And I said, You are going to impoverish your children. And he knew exactly what I meant. Exactly what I meant. Because his children are prone not to work, realizing that one day they are going to inherit a massive amount of money. Why work? It's there. You take steps to guard against hurting people. With money. Jesus said it is difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus himself said it. Some of you are going to be rich. Praise God. That is wonderful. Learn to be gracious today. Because if you're not gracious with it today, you will never be when you get it. You say, you don't know that. I know that. I have seen it. I have seen it. And I want you to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that little bit of inheritance that my children would get, I've seen 19-year-olds inherit money. And it is disgusting. They have to be 30 before they ever see it. 30! Because I don't want it to mess up their lives. There are steps we take. Jesus warns us. Okay, turn back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 19 verse 27. Then Peter said to Him, Behold, we have left everything and followed You. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that You who have followed Me in the generation when the Son of Man will sit on His his glorious throne, You also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or farms, for My sake... For my name's sake, we'll receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Okay, so Peter says to him when he hears about this, that, you know, only, only rich men are gonna, rich men are gonna have difficulty, Peter says, look, we've left everything. We've left everything to follow you. What's gonna be for us? Now, Jesus, now Peter did not leave everything. He did not. And how do I know that? Because as soon as Jesus was crucified, he was buried, Peter said, I'm going fishing. Remember, he was a fisherman by trade. And early on in John, he says, it says that they left their fishing boats and they followed him. Well, he didn't leave it far, because as soon as Jesus was in the grave, what did he say? He said, I'm going fishing. He got right back in his fishing boat and he went fishing. He still had his business sitting right there in the fishing boat. He didn't leave everything. Our perception is we've left everything and followed Jesus. Peter still had his wife, too, because we know that Cephas, it says in 1 Corinthians, that his wife was with him. Remember, Peter, Jesus went into Peter's house and healed Peter's mother-in-law. Peter still had his house. He had not lo- left everything, but we get this feeling, like, Jesus, I've left everything and i followed you. Let me ask you this. How many of you have left your homes to seek Jesus. You've left your home to come to college. That I know. You still have your room there. And if anybody touches it, you get upset. Alright? How many of you... I have never left a home, my home. I have not left my mother and father. I left my mother and father to go to college. I left my mother and father because it was time for me to leave. I didn't leave them to seek Jesus. Now, when I came to Jesus, my parents are Jewish. and I came to Jesus, they did not disown me. They didn't think it was the greatest idea for me to do this, but they didn't disown me. Some people, their parents, absolutely disown them, cut them off, and have no dealings with them again. In fact, some Jews have funerals for their children when their children uh, accept Jesus. This is true. This is true. How many of you here have left mother or father, children, homes, farms, for for, for Jesus' sake? Anyone here? There may be. I mean, people do this in the world. Alright, so none of us, none of us fit into this category. Alright, so if we think we've sacrificed a lot for Jesus, I'm telling you again, we're just in kindergarten. This is how much we've sacrificed for Jesus. You say, well, you know, I bore some shame for his name. Well, good for you. You're going to bear much more shame for his name if you want to walk with him. May you bear more because it makes you a better person. And you will receive more in the kingdom of heaven. Because Jesus said, blessed is he who has been persecuted for my name's sake. For he shall receive. And it goes through and he starts listing what you were going to receive in the kingdom of heaven. And it says, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's what he says. And then, so in verse 28, he says to them, he says, I say to you. He's saying to Peter and to the other disciples, you're going you're to reign on 12 thrones. Then he says, and everyone who has left brothers or sisters, father or mother or children or farms for my namesake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last will be first. And what does Jesus mean by this? He then right away in chapter 20 starts teaching a parable. Remember, Peter said to him, we've given up everything. What are we going to get back? We've given up everything. What are we getting back? You know what Jesus does? He doesn't always confront people and say, you know, that was a very foolish statement. He tells a story and lets us then see ourselves in that story And very often that's actually a good way to confront people, just tell a story and let them see themselves in the story. And that's what Jesus does. So in chapter 20, reading from verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he agreed with the laborers for the denarius for the day, he sent them into the vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those, he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. And again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard also. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, "Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first." And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more because each of them also received but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner saying, the last men have worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and, and the scorching heat of the day. But he said to, to one of them, friend, I am doing no wrong. Do you not, Did you not agree with me for Denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I want with my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. Okay, so remember the context of this. Peter says, we've given up everything to follow you. What are we going to get in return? Jesus tells this story. He says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. It's going to be like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in the vineyard. Let's look at this first group of laborers that he hired in verse two. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. Okay, so he agreed with the laborers for a denarius. He agreed with the laborers for a denarius. A denarius was a day's wage. There was an agreement that was struck here. He agreed with the laborers. The laborers said, We will work the day for you for a denarius. And the landowner says, Good enough. It shall be, go work the day, and you will get your denarius. There was an agreement there. They had an agreement. The laborers weren't about to go into the field without an an agreement. Who would do that? They had an agreement. They set the terms. Verse 3. And he went out about the third and the sixth hour, hour. He went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said... You also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. So the second group, after three hours, he went back into the marketplace and he saw other people standing idle. They weren't sitting. They were standing idle, meaning that they were laborers who had not been hired. They weren't just sitting around a bunch of derelicts. They were waiting to be hired. That is the way you hired your people. You hired them for the day. And so he went out and he saw them. And he said, "He said, you go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. Look at this second group. The first group puts the terms of a denarius. The second group, all he has to say is, whatever is right, I'll give you. They're glad to get the work. They've been standing around for three hours. I don't know if you've ever had a job like that. I, I was once a caddy, and you'd sit in this, this caddy shack, waiting for the caddy master to call you out. To go and, and work. And you'd never know if you were going to get out you know, at, at, at 6 a.m. or if you weren't going to get out till 10 a.m. And usually at 10 a.m., you know, you had to caddy for a couple of old ladies. And, you know, they, 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 they'd hit the ball like 20 yards. And if there was ever water, their ball went right for the water. went right for the sand. And they hated to lose that ball in the water. So you're fishing for these balls. And, and, and then they could only play nine holes and they'd give you a 50-cent tip. You know, the guys that go out at, at 6 in the morning, you know, they, they were hitting the ball 250 yards, and they never went in the water, and they'd play 18 holes, and they'd give you this very generous tip. So you never know who you were going to work for. And Anybody else been a caddy? Know what I'm talking about? You guys never caddied carried bags? And... <clears throat> You've done it. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's miserable when you when, when you got a... Caddy for old ladies, isn't it? Do you ever do that? Okay, it's, just, it's just, trust me. You can imagine. This is miserable. Anyway, um, so they, they say, he said, whatever is right, I'll give you. And they agreed to that. There was some level of trust here that this man's going to give us something, whatever's right. Verse 5, he went out about the 6th and the ninth hour and did the same. So again, He did the same thing, meaning that he said, whatever is right, I'll give you. There was a level of trust there. He'll take care of us. He'll pay us according to to what he thinks is right. About this, verse 6, and about the 11th hour, so this is one hour before quitting time, he went out and he found others standing around, and he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they, they said to him, because no one hired us. And he said, you go into the vineyard too, because no one hired us. So who must these people have been? They must have been old, or had some sort of defect, or lame in some way. The ones that nobody else would hire. All day, nobody would hire them. The bad caddies always went out last. The caddy master always chose the good caddies for the good guys. The bad caddies sometimes would just be in there all day and never get to go out. Same sort of thing. He said, because no one hired us. He said, I'll hire you. He says, you go into the vineyard too. No terms of a denarius. Not even a term of whatever's right I'll give you. He just says, go. We would rather work and not even have any agreement. Not even have an agreement that you're going to pay us what's right. We just want to get out there and work. This is you go too. And so when evening comes, he starts with those who are old and a bit lame and couldn't work very hard. Because who are you going to choose to work in your field? You're going to, you're going to choose the young guys. Right? The young, strong guys. You're going to choose them to work in the field. You're not going to choose the old guys that... You know, kind of dragging. And he takes those who the world hates, those who the world wouldn't hire, and he gives them a denarius. They never put this... They never said, you have to pay us a denarius. They never even said, we just want to be sure you're going to pay us what's right. They were people who just served out of the joy of being able to get into service. And he blessed them and he said, you get paid first. And to those who had struck terms with him for a denarius, he said, here's your stinking denarius. Go ahead and take it. And they were bitter and they were upset and they were discontent. And they were not content with the wages that they themselves had agreed upon. And he says, Peter, you want to know what I mean? You want to know what you're going to get? Just remember, the first are going to be last. And the last, you're going to be first. Jesus takes the whole thing and He flips it around. He says, you want to serve Me? You serve Me because you enjoy serving Me. If people go into full-time ministry because they think I'm going to get paid for this kind of work, they've already lost out. You serve God exactly where you are. You only have an hour where you can serve Him. You don't have 12 hours. You serve Him for that hour you make your life a service to God, you will be content, you will receive plenty, you will receive, in fact, much more than you deserve. Because for that one hour of service to God, you will be greatly blessed. This is the way Jesus works. You want to be blessed in life, you serve Him. I have seen this again and again. I knew a a young man, he would... He would go sometimes to the church in the evenings. Nobody would be around. And he would go and he would mop the floors and shine the whole floors, put wax on the whole floors. And I would see him and I'd say, what are you doing? I just enjoy doing this. He would take out all the chairs, wax the floor, wait for the floor to dry, and then put all the chairs back in. And they'd just disappear into the night. Just because he wanted to bless the body of Christ. I watched that young man's life. He was in in ministry and leadership very quickly. And through his life he's always had these positions of leadership in churches. And all he did was serve. All he did was serve. That's what he did. And that matches up precisely what happens in verse twenty four of Matthew chapter twenty. Skip on over to verse twenty four. Verse twenty-five, Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I can look at young people. I can look at them. And I know what the quality of their life service is going to be like by the way they serve in the body of Christ. I just know it. say, well, how do you know? Because I know what the Scriptures say, and I have watched young lives. Those that serve end up having blessed lives. Those that serve end up getting spouses that are equally selfless. It's a terrible thing to have a spouse who's Selfish. Who always wants for themselves because they'll suck you dry. Those who are selfless, giving of themselves, find spouses that are also selfless. You serve in the body of Christ and you are greatly blessed. Without terms of agreement that, all right, you know, I'll do this, but what am I going to get? You get nothing. You get nothing from me. But you get a tremendous blessing from God. Remember, don't set terms with God because you'll settle for a denarius. He has much more riches for you. And the labor that you do when you're 19, you will receive back many times over when you're 49. Because God never forgets. He remembers the labor that you do now. I know who does the dishes. And God knows it too. I know who sticks around and makes sure that everything is done right. And guess what? If I know, God knows too. He is the one that will repay you many, many times over. For those of you who labor and you think that nobody knows your service, God does. And He will reward you many times over. And in fact, if nobody knows your service, He's going to reward you all the more. He is the one. Those who receive last in this world, He is going to bless them first. Learn to serve God. Even if you should end up in full-time ministry, do many things just out of a heart of service to the Lord, and you will be greatly blessed. This is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God. This is the way He is, and you will be greatly blessed. Your children will not be selfish either. If they see you serving... In the body of Christ, they will pick that up. They will really pick it up. You may not see it every day in the home, but they will pick up these qualities. You will see. For those of you who come from homes where your parents were always serving in the body of Christ, I'll bet, I'll bet that you have a heart of service in the body of Christ. You'll think, Well, where did I get this? You got it from your parents because you saw it in them, and God has so blessed you with it, He will give it to your children. And it is a blessing that is passed down when you learn to serve. He says, the Gentiles lord it over them. The Gentiles want to sit there and sit on their fat butts and give orders. And God says, you learn to serve and you will be greatly blessed. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of the Scriptures, for the truth of the Word of God. Father, I pray that You would teach us to be generous with the money that You have given us. And Father, I pray that You would teach us to be careful that we would not fall into the love of money which will bring many pains upon us. If You should so bless us with it, so be it, Lord. May we be gracious with it. And Father, I pray that You take these young people and keep them free from the love of money. And Father, I thank you that you give us an example of what it is to serve you. What it is to serve you without terms, without saying, what are we going to get from this? Without terms and without conditions. Because your generosity is worth so much more than any terms that we might set. And Father, I pray that you take these young people and make them servants in the body of Christ. So make them servants that they might have rich lives, that they might find spouses that are equally selfless and self-giving. Father, I pray your grace to be upon them. Thank you, Lord, for the scriptures that teach us to be better people. And with this, we can be content and we can be happy in a world where there's so much misery. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, amen.